It's the week of January 27th, and this is MASHCAST 112. edition of the Mash Those Buttons MASHcast. I am Jarrett, almost forgot my name for a second there, and I'm here with Nick Zellenkevich. Oh, you going to say your name was Boris or something? No, no, I was like, what are we doing again? It's, it's been a long <laughs> day, folks, long day, late night podcast, just me and Nick, two-manning it, Joel Couture couldn't make it, busy week for our Canadian friend, um, so he's a... Uh, He's sleeping, or whatever Canadians do to uh, refuel themselves. I just thought they had to drink maple syrup and they'd be okay. Obviously he's, not. He's got, he's got a lot of maple syrup to drink. <laughs> yeah, so just me and Nick, uh, MASHCast number 112. We're actually going to be skipping the what have you been playing this week. One for time, two because we all know Nick doesn't play anything except WoW. And I really haven't had a chance to play anything because... Uh, we got something new coming very soon. It was supposed to come this Monday, uh, but we still need time to work a few kinks out. So, uh, surprise, not, not coming this Monday, but it's coming soon, and therefore I really haven't been playing anything. Um, except I've been I've played a couple StarCraft matches to kind of break the stress, which really don't help. It doesn't help break the stress, because then I start playing, and when people start doing stupid shit, it kind of gets on my nerves. Have you considered playing like unranked matches or non-ladder matches? Why would I play unranked matches? Because that's there's like, no stress. That's like eating food without nutritional value. And it's very that tastes very good sometimes. And it's bad for you. It's right. bad for you. Why would but, I eat those empty calories of unranked matches? Because sometimes it can help you relieve your stress. <laughs> that's true. But no, no unranked matches. Because the thing is, it's not the ranked matches that bother me. It's not the fact that the matches are ranked. It's the fact that people are fucking retarded. And it's only, it only gets worse with unranked matches. The only difference between an unranked match and a ranked match is that usually the other team is just so bad or the people are so bad that single-handedly I can win the game. And that and that comes with a lot more frustration because my teammates are just idiots. I'd much rather them quit so I can get their resources. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it. It's it's kind of pointless, so no. But thanks for the suggestion, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I try. All right, so we're going to get right into the topics this week. And I don't know, maybe if this sticks, we'll just do it. Like, we'll see how people, how people like it. Because some people like the What You've Been Playing, some people don't like the What You've Been Playing, you know? I think it depends on what we've been playing. I think so. It usually comes around, I see our rank go down whenever we come around to you. Yeah, just playing well. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Uh, but yeah, let's get right into the topics. Let's start with uh, a hot topic at the moment. By the way, not a lot going on right now. Uh, we were going through the uh, 
our topic list, which actually has a lot of posts or a lot of different topics to go through. And it was kind of just like, I don't want to talk about any of this stuff because it's kind of just bullshit. <laughs> bullshit is bad for you, as George Carlin would say. But, uh, yeah, so uh, only a few things we thought were worth talking about, even though we missed last week due to technical difficulties. But so let's start off with Nintendo. That's the hot topic right now. Uh, I think, like, almost two weeks ago, the, for the news of Nintendo's uh, financial... Uh, or what they thought Nintendo was going to uh, bring out at their financial earnings call. Um, news about that, start, rumors at least, started flowing around. Then the financial call actually happened. And uh, Nintendo is definitely down the number of Wii... Uh, they're, 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 they're definitely down the number of Wii U's they thought they were going to sell. Even the 3DS's, even though the 3DS was the top-selling console of 2013, it was less than their financial forecast expected so they sold less um we use less uh 3ds's obviously less 2ds's which i'm not sure if you saw but did you see that some of the boxes for the 3ds stuff is now coming with a label that says also works on 2ds no i haven't seen that yeah that that's happening now so i guess we'll see how if that works out and selling the 2ds um it makes it makes sense because again you figure for you know well especially because the 2ds seemed like it was kind of aimed at kids anyway and so you get parents buying stuff for their kids, and they may not know exactly what's going on. So the better you can label all that, it's probably better for everybody. Yeah. All right. So Nintendo, uh, they, I guess they, they, uh, they, they, their profits slid by thirty percent uh, in the first nine months of the year with the Wii U, and I think we uh, kind of already knew about that, but it actually got a bit worse. I think they, didn't they slash their forecast by fifty percent total. Uh, something like that. I, they slashed the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was pretty bad. Um, but and also it was, it was bad enough that Nintendo executives are taking pay cuts. Uh, Iwata is taking a fifty percent pay cut. Miyamoto's taking a thirty percent pay cut, and several uh, I think um, other directors are taking a twenty percent pay cut uh, rather than have the uh, I guess the, the 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 slash forecast come down on the employees. Which is uh honorable, you know, honorable. That's not the way it works here in America. In America, you know, golden parachutes deploy. And you're like, oh man, I feel so bad about not doing my job. I'm gonna go weep on my yacht. Like that's that's not good. Wasn't golden parachute a launch game for the uh, for the N64? Am I thinking of something else? No. Maybe you're thinking about pilot wings. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> Pilot Wing 64. I played the shit out of that game. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. So they sold, they sold 2.4 million Wii U's in about nine months uh, since their uh, last financial call. Uh, obviously, that's not a good number since the PS4 came out in November and had already, and by the by December 31st, had sold 4.2 million. Uh, consoles, even the Xbox One, technically speaking, sold Microsoft sold 3.9 million Xbox Ones. Um, but that that got I got I got I don't know why I feel so compelled to dig on Microsoft, even though we're talking about Nintendo. That's 3.9 million they sold to stores. 900,000 of those got left on shelves. By the way, just to clarify. 
Well, if that's the case, then we'll, we'll see Microsoft sales this year decline substantially as they don't have to replace those units on store I don't shelves. know. I, yo, it's weird, but I have a weird feeling right now. I feel kind of bad for hating. Like, I had absolutely no reason to talk about that. <laughs> I had absolutely no reason to talk about that except just to kind of dig it in there. Like, nope, they're still in the hole. But anyway, they did sell more than Nintendo. Uh, in the small, in the short time frame that they were, uh, that the Xbox One was released. You know, it's uh, not just, it's not just that they, that Nintendo sold that little, that the Xbox and the PlayStation sold more than in the short time frame, but Nintendo sold more Wii U's in, in 2013, or no, I'm sorry, 2012, because I forget which year it is. Yeah. But the that, that launch, I think they sold was like four or five million Wii U's, and since then... They've only sold the not even three million, so it's not just that it's not just that they're getting beaten by their competitors over a very minuscule time frame, and that you know you can argue oh well the launch hype for the new consoles is kind of what's propelling them. It's that Nintendo's going backwards. Yes, and you know what? I'll be honest with you. It, it feels like um, well at least in my opinion, it's not. This all started with when Ubisoft pulled Rayman. <laughs> this all started with Ubisoft pulling Rayman, and that kind of started like a lot of like the titles that people were excited for getting either getting pushed back or getting pulled off the Wii U. But I will see. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if you can blame that on Ubisoft because the thing is, they were right. Can you say that they made the wrong call? The you know, I mean, if they had tied, no, Rayman I think they, to the console, they made the wrong call delaying it on the Wii U. They could have come out multi-platform in September if they wanted to, but to delay it on the Wii U so that the multi-platform release across all plat- across all the platforms was at the same time, I think that was wrong. Because to be honest with you, I was, at the time, I was seriously considering getting the Wii U, and then they were like, oh, well, we're pulling Rayman back. And that was a huge blow. That was a huge blow because now the, the, big, the Wii U's biggest problem is, is their their, is their their software um they don't uh, they their biggest titles haven't come out uh, and a lot of that has to do with the way nintendo started handling third parties with the wii where they made agreements with like ea activision and ubisoft to not release their big titles around the third party titles so the third party titles have more room to breathe and that came back and bit them on the ass i think we're gonna you know we're, there's just been a, a too large of a gap uh, in terms of the games that that would sell Wii U's, like uh, the, the, there's too large of a gap of good games with the U. Actually, um, Joel wrote that um article last year, the uh, the editorial about the fact that it feel I think he said it was like nine months between releases that he wanted for the console. That's way too. That was way too yeah. long. It's nine uh, months that the console is not selling. Exactly. Now, to be honest with you, um. I do believe that 2014 will be their year, mainly because of two games that we know about right now. Mario Kart's coming out sometime around May, and then Smash Brothers comes out this year. If Mario Kart doesn't move consoles, Smash Brothers will. Smash Brothers will absolutely move consoles. It has to be their year just because it can't be any worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I almost think that last year was sort of a study in what is the minimum number of people that will buy a console in any given year. 
And so, uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're entirely right about Smash Brothers. And, and I mean, well, I worry about Smash Brothers a little bit, if only because it's, it's uh, the 3DS version is being released at the same time or, yeah. or, or close to it. So I wonder if it, that people might, not, might just not say, look, I've already got my 3DS. I, why do I need to go buy an entire console just to play the new Smash Brothers? I, I hope – I hope that it's super awesome and that it's justified. And when you see the commercials and, and, and the marketing, everybody will be like, I have to get a Wii U just to get that. But I worry that it may not be enough. The reason Smash Brothers moves is because of people who play Smash Brothers, not new people coming into Smash Brothers. New people coming into Smash Brothers may just get it for the 3DS if it comes out for it. But all the Smash Brothers fans are going to get it for the console. Why? So you can have four people sitting around one TV kicking the shit out of each other. That's why. Enchanting Pikachu. That's why. Well, yeah. But you can still do that. I mean, maybe not sitting around one TV, but you know, but that's the four whole people thing about sitting Smash on the same Bros. couch. No, that's the whole thing about, about Smash Bros. is the chaos of everybody being around the screen at one time and everything happening on one screen. But if everybody can see the screen individually, even though it's spread across four it consoles... It fucks up the chaos, Nick. I know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> no, I'm... I'm all, all, I guess all I'm saying is that if you already own a 3DS, then the cost for Smash Brothers 3DS is going to be, what, like 40 50 bucks. I don't even know what a 3DS game goes for. But if you don't own a 3DS, then the cost for Smash Brothers is going to be, what, $60 plus the cost of a Wii U? So you're talking, what, $300, $350? Dude, they're probably so, a bundle. But just as a, it, let's say they don't. Go ahead. Okay, but but my my point my point is that 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 additional cost of the Wii U fundamentally that extra two fifty or so is a significant marginal investment, and if you know, I guess it, it comes down to: Do you feel that that experience of sitting around the screen together, all looking at the same device and being able to talk shit to each other, is that worth? $250 or is the ability to just say, Hey, everybody you already got your 3ds, you know, and then uh, you can all just sit in the same room and play. And we're just staring down at our little handhelds. Is that good enough for only having to buy the game? For smash brothers, it's worth it. Well, I hope, I hope more people feel like you, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that there will be people who don't think that, and that could potentially hurt the sales. I don't want to play with them anyway. But uh, I know you had uh, some thoughts on their quote-unquote mobile division that they're working with now. Oh, well, well, because what happened is, I mean, we had all these reports coming out about uh, about how Nintendo is doing. And there's been a lot of speculation, like, you know, the media for some reason loves to, you know, pound the drum that Mario needs to be on a handheld device. And not just, not just, you know, a Nintendo handheld device, but your smartphone. Um, and you know Nintendo's been relatively uh, you know stoic and you know saying it's not going to happen, um, but they had a um, they had a, a presentation uh, yesterday I believe where they talked about some of their strategies going forward and one of them was to build a small select team for smartphone development and. Their concern, I guess, fundamentally, what they've realized is that smartphone devices are are so prevalent and ubiquitous that for them not to be on it hurts them. Um, and it does. It, they didn't say that they were going to build a game or anything like that. They didn't say that that they they you know their characters were or weren't off limits for that. They just said they have a team who's going to develop something for smartphones. And 
the implication seems to be that mostly it'll be they'll be developing some kind of advertising because if they can get some like basically if they can get a Nintendo app that's out there and it says you know hey you can have you know Nintendo on your phone and it's going to just sit there and, and promote your 3DS and your Wii U and all that kind of good stuff. Um, at least they're in that space and they're not unrepresented because I think we've seen Sony has even talked about having a uh, um, was it an Android app. Uh, I think Sony Sony's worked on like an Android app and that that does I think a similar purpose. And so it, it, in a way, it's kind of Nintendo finally acknowledging that they have to play with everybody else to a degree that they can't just kind of define their niche and go with it because as much I mean as much as they can do that to a degree, they're still struggling right now. And so this is this is kind of their I guess their answer to the calls of the greater world to sort of tell them to wake up. Yeah, my thing about like the uh, Nintendo app that would have demos and be like for advertising. Then I don't think Nintendo's problem is visibility. That like everybody knows who Nintendo is. My grandmother knows who Nintendo is. And d- does your grandmother buy Nintendo games? Well, no. So, no, no I don't I mean, think, like, I'm just saying, like, visibility isn't really their issue. I, I mean, I guess it could be a good reminder to people that, hey, we got these games, but, I mean... I, c- I c- think c- that's exactly what it is. But, c- like, making stuff on the iPhone, and even Android, like, an app like that is... Uh, that would... It's almost like they they're, they're, the message they're trying to relay is that, you know, they're, they're catered for a casual audience... When I don't think Nintendo has ever catered for a casual audience. Nintendo has all, even with the Wii, they did not, I'm sorry, but they did not cater for a casual audience. The casual audience caught on to the Wii. That's the difference. Nintendo has always made games for, to be fun, to be challenging, to be engaging, and they made them for gamers. Maybe not the hardest core of gamers, but they made family games. And I don't think them uh, putting an app out to the iPhone users, I don't think that's going to pull more people in because if you're a gamer um you're either going to buy nintendo or you're not either you like the games or you don't no i i think you're you're right and i think one of the that's why nintendo is so hesitant to full-on commit to you know like actual game development on on a mobile device but i think what they're seeing is it's a screen that's in front of a lot of people's faces a lot of the time and they're not on that you see nintendo commercials on tv um you know you'll see you know nintendo billboards and stuff like that but you don't Right now, they're they're not represented in that market space at all, and I think it's it's entirely just about visibility and just making sure, like, okay, you know what, people, you know, that th- they can still get in front of people be- who aren't following them in other you know, the traditional media outlets. And I think too, I think they're a little rattled. Um, I think that this, you know, that they're you know clearly dealing with these these you know these losses and sales and and you know i mean it's enough it's one thing to sit there and for iwata and miyamoto to cut their salaries um but at the same time though it's like unless you actually try to fix why you're losing all that money then you're kind of cutting your salary in vain and so you know rather than just say cut the salary and and you know okay well that'll offset some of the losses and we'll turn it around i think it's this is sort of the other hand of that action in that we're going to cut our salaries and then we're also going to try to do something with the mobile space uh, i think at this point they're saying that they're not going on the console because they don't want to do that but it may very well be the kind of thing where they either realize like oh hey we can actually you know i'll put on a mobile game pretty easily or they might you know come up with new ip or something that may change that so i think they're just kind of they're entering entering this very cautiously and very tentatively, which is how they should do that. If we are going to see Mario on a on a, on a handheld device, other than, you know a non Nintendo handheld device, this is how it starts. But at this point, 
at this point, we're a long way off from that. And I, I think most likely what what we'll see is some sort of, you know, access to the Nintendo, what was it, the Nintendo network that they had on the Wii where you could get maybe some demos or even, you know, just, just watch just watch some footage. I mean, I, I guess you can count, you know, some Let's Play videos as, uh, as footage if you can watch that on your smartphone. But it's not I, – I think this will be more of an official way to, to sort of drum up the fan base and, and theoretically drum up the sales. I mean, maybe it'll work. I mean, I'm no marketing genius. I'm not actually. I'm not very good at marketing at all. But <laughs> I'm just saying, I I really don't see how this is going to translate into more sales because their problem's not visibility. Their problem, their message isn't skewed. I mean, everybody knows Nintendo. They know what they do. They know that their games are, are fun. I mean, what's the default? What's the default answer for Booth Babes? I play I play games like Mario and Zelda. Everybody knows about Mario and Zelda. And everybody knows that they're fun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like that's that's people's default answer. You know, when they are you a gamer? Yeah, you know, not just Booth Babes. Don't want to pick on Booth Babes. I'm saying, you know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm an old school gamer. <laughs> I play Mario and Zelda. Nobody talks about Mega Man. Talk about Mario and Zelda because oh, yeah, Mega Man's a man's game. He's also he's also Rockman. Yeah, yes, he is also Rockman. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that that's that's necessarily the way to go. My, I have always had the same advice for Nintendo: fuck the third parties, and uh, not completely, but fuck them in terms of the release schedule. Like, don't release your games around third parties. You know, let your, let people know what when you're releasing your games, and then let them release around that. Release the third. Release the Nintendo should release their first party games because that is what's going to sell the system. That's 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 what's selling the system. I think it doesn't. I think, but I mean, they've made so many mistakes with the Wii U. I mean, just from from naming the console to sort of how they've marketed it, and again, you know, the release schedule, like you said, it's. I mean, it, 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 it's not that they can't recover. I mean, we've seen with the 3DS, like, yeah, they can, they can turn this ship around, but it's going to take time. And the thing is, by you know, they can very well come up with a Nintendo app, and by the time it's ready to go, they might have already righted the ship anyway, and so they'll see sales of the Wii U go up, and they might think, see, it's because of the app. Right. And so, you know, so, I mean, this could wind up leading to more stuff even, even unintentionally. But it's, yeah, they, they've... They've got some work ahead of them, but I don't think... I mean, that's the thing. Like we said, all they need to do is just release a bunch of awesome games and they'll be fine. I mean, you can lose a console war early. and They're not even really in a console war, but you can make those sales up later. As long as, you know, I'm sure, you know, a price drop would obviously help with that, but I mean, they're still... They're not doing great, but by all means, they could just be setting everybody up for low expectations for 2014, and then they can just knock the shit out of everybody. This is this is true. I think I think I would be concerned if I saw no movement after Smash Brothers. I will on this podcast. I will sound very concerned if after <laughs> Smash Brothers comes out, I'm like, well, folks, it was a good, it was a good time. But I think it's time to pack it in, guys. <laughs> it's time to pack it in. Oh my God, they're killing him. <laughs> No, yeah, if I don't see any movement after Smash Brothers, I think we're going to have some issues. But, until then, I, I think uh, Mario Kart is going to be a mover. Smash Bros. is going to be a mover. 3D Mario, whenever it comes out, is going to be incredible. 
Like, it's going to be incredible. Like, there's no doubt in my mind it is, and I think that's going to be a mover. You know? Just like people started, even though the Wii, the Wii didn't really need it, I know people who did buy Wiis when Mario Galaxy came out, when Mario Galaxy 2 came out, because they know that those are incredible platforming games. You know, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I really, I really, I'm really hoping on that movement with Smash Bros. I'm really putting my money on that one. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, but let's move on to our next topic. Let's uh, talk about Microsoft buying Gears of War. Um, that, that's kind of the first thing that happened. And then Rod Ferguson, he joined, uh, what was it Black Tusk, it's called? Black Tusk uh, Studios, Studios uh, in Vancouver who's now taking care of the Gears series. Epic sold Gears to Microsoft, and now Black Tusk has taken care of it. Um, I don't. This doesn't really give me the warm and fuzzies, and actually, I'll be honest with you, I, Gears is not a series I really care about. I, I, I'm not a fan of Gears, um, especially after Gears 3. Like I was able to play through Gears 1 and 2, and my biggest gripe is how short the game was. But Gears 3, I couldn't even finish that fucking game. It was so boring. But, um... Whenever I... when I, Microsoft buys this title, and... I mean, I guess when Microsoft bought Halo, it was okay. Um, actually, did, did Microsoft even have to buy Halo? I don't think Microsoft had to buy Halo. Um, I think Microsoft already owned Halo, and then they just made 343 Studios, and that's how it transferred went. But then, like, you have another game like Project Gotham Racing where Microsoft, uh, they bought the rights to that. It was a, it was a Xbox exclusive anyway. And holy shit, well, that game went nowhere. Like, that, 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 that Project Gotham was one of my favorite uh, racing titles. And that series is gone, pretty what, much. Even though there's rumors that they're going to, re- that they're working on, on a, on a Project Gotham game, I have no faith for it, especially since Bizarre is not going to be behind it. That's how far-reaching that 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 Venom went. <laughs> it killed Bizarre. That was actually Activision and Bobby Kotick's flaming hooves, as Rob Hill Williams used to like to say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't really give me the, the warm and fuzzies. Uh, and Rod Ferguson, telling me that he's on the Gears team now, not really making me uh <laughs> making me think this is gonna be a great title. I mean who knows? Gears three was really bad. I did I didn't I didn't finish Gears Judgment, uh, uh Gears of War Judgment, but I didn't have a bad time with it while I played it. Uh like I, with with Gears of War Judgment with Gears of War three, I was in the middle of playing the game and I just shut it off. Like I was <laughs> I just shut the thing off and I was done with it. Um but with Gears Judgment, like, I finished up some levels and I just never went back to it. There's a difference. Uh, so, I don't know. Who knows? They may breathe life into this series in a way that I didn't think was possible and I may get back into it again, but it's kind of hard. Like, Epic, even with Gears 3 being as bad as it was, there's a certain feel to Gears of War that Epic had that's even missing. It's missing in Gears of War Judgment. Um, Gears of War 3, the biggest problem was... Uh, it, the levels were too long, and that's when I figured out how uninteresting the game actually was, <laughs> because of how because of how long things were, and it really gave me a chance to see that this game is not very interesting. Even though Joel loves it, 
I didn't think that I, when he revealed that to me, I didn't think that was a. I didn't think I would, I would hear that from him. He came out of the Gears of War closet, told me that he liked the game. So, um, oh, Gears Three specifically. So he probably would have opened the, the the podcast with a "Screw you, Microsoft, for buying Gears of War." I don't know. I mean, he might. This is all speculation. I, when it comes to that series, I kind of think the worst. Like, they would have to kind of start from scratch for me. Like, I don't want to see anything about Marcus Phoenix. I don't want to see any old Dom. Well, I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna talk about Dom. Uh, just in case somebody didn't beat the game. I didn't beat it, but I heard about what happened uh, with that character. I really don't want to hear about Cole. Like, they ruined Cole for me in the third one. He became so annoying. I'm like, ah, this is why he didn't have that many speaking lines in the other games. <laughs> I was not a fan of Cole in Gears 3. For, uh, yeah, this was not a fan. But I, if they start over with, like, a new team, maybe, a different story, something that doesn't involve somebody's dad, that would be great. You know, that uh, a fresh start. Because I, I really liked Gears 1 and Gears 2. Gears 1 changed the way I felt I, I felt about HUDs. Or, or, well, yeah, HUDs. For those who don't know what that means. One, I don't know why you listen to this podcast, but I'll explain it anyway. It's heads-up display. Uh, it, it, did, it really did uh, change the way I looked at HUDs because that was like the cleanest HUD I had ever seen at the time. Um, you know, it was just like all screens. Like, oh, man, this is great. This is clean. Um and then Dead Space kind of just took that to a whole fucking new level. That was incredible, the Dead Space HUD. Uh, now I'm in love with HUDs. I'm in love with clean HUD design. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I liked Gears 1. I liked Gears 2. Uh, I just didn't like how short the games were. Uh, and you know, some people like talk about how dude bro the games were. And how macho they were. But that's what kind of made them funny. And fun to play as long as you didn't take them seriously, uh, which some people did. But the Gears Three for me, you can't have a like a fucking two hundred and forty pound muscle bound guy crying about his dad. Don't know about it. Nah, that's, that just doesn't work, man. So, but I don't know. Like we'll, we'll see what Microsoft, well not Microsoft, but this Black Tusk uh, Studios does with Gears of War. I'm curious, because out of the Gears series, is really only one that I didn't like, and that's Gears 3, and, Gear, and, and Gears Judgment was just missing a little something. So as far as I'm concerned, Epic still does have the touch when it comes to that game, they just had a, like, a misstep. Who knows? So you got anything on this? You've been kind of quiet. No, I, no um, I don't know, I'm just thinking, I mean, I want to say, like, well, I guess either it means they're going to screw it up royally and then they'll kill the franchise, or they'll they'll do something, at least that can return it to its former glory. Um, but I suppose it's also entirely possible that they'll put out something mediocre. So, really, anything can happen. <laughs> the future is wide open. This is very true. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm not, I'm not expecting too much, so maybe that'll be helpful. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll be like, oh, could have been worse. <laughs> who knows uh, but let's let's go to our, move to our next topic I just realized I mentioned Booth Babes earlier that was totally not me trying to segue I I should have probably tried the segue <laughs> I, I was expecting it actually and then you didn't and I was like oh you know segues just aren't our style Nick they're my style yeah I want to say you do it <laughs> terribly 
Um, but you do it terribly better than awesome. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, Nick. Maybe so. Uh, so article came up, and this actually was like actually close to the beginning of the month. It was on the thirteenth. Uh, it's called from TechCrunch called "Booth Babes Don't Work," uh, and it's not just an. The reason it caught my eye because it wasn't just another article or editorial written about how booth babes are sexist and they push women away and da 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 da. This was actually a research done by a company, um, actually specifically by a, uh, a company that handles booths for companies, uh, handles booths for companies, handles booths uh, for uh, you know people like 2K or you know developers and things like that. And uh, they they did research, and their research showed that you get more foot traffic by not having booth babes. You know, you get more leads by not having booth babes at your booth. And the big takeaway is, actually, you know what? I, my big takeaway was is that it's not actually the booth babes that are the problem. It's not that people are getting turned off by the booth babes. It's just that I think when they see booth babes, they associate that with you know, just eye candy and people not knowing what they're talking about. Because that was actually the big part of the the research, him saying that, you know, when people come to your booth, they want to talk to somebody who knows about the game. And, you know, booth babes aren't associated with that. And actually, when I went to E3, one of the things I used to say is like, you know, you know a product sucks the, depending on how, one, how many booth babes they had and two, how attractive they were. And three, how little clothing they were wearing. That's how <laughs> so, so you're saying the more scantily clad and, and lascivious that the, the booth got, the worse the product was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> and this, like, a while back, I, I, saw, I was at a... Actually, it was E3 2005. Uh, the Nyko booth had, was... No, I'm sorry. Actually, there was one worse. There was one worse. The Nyko booth, because I hate Nyko product. But they had hot chicks that were scantily clad. Okay. But there was one worse. It was called this game called RYL or Risk Your Life. It was an MMO. You remember that MMO, Nick? uh, Briefly, yeah. It was the worst MMO I have ever played in my entire life. (laughs) Okay. Uh, It was so bad, me and my clan at the time used to play it for shits and giggles. Um, but it was so it was bad. They had the most scantily clad women. Like basically, they just had girls walking around like with bra and panties um, that said RYL on it. That's what it was. And they like the one of the developers of the game would just walk around the show floor with these girls. Least amount of clothing. Most attractive girls there. Um, yeah, and that was that that was that, and it was a lot of them. So they the three of them. That those my criteria met, and that was the worst game of the show that year, um, RYL. So, uh, yeah, that that I can totally see. I think this research is totally valid. Me and my non-research says this research is totally valid. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. I mean, because he starts off talking about how the, he sort of started the research by accident, insofar as he wound up at a convention with two separate booths by chance and he set it up so that one booth had the booth babes and the other booth he instead of hiring booth babes he hired two local i want to say he specified women but i'm not sure but he wanted with two local women older women who knew the area and what they they could do is they were 
like given specific instructions to sort of socialize with people. And I think part of the problem is that the booth babes, they just stand there looking pretty. They know whatever little information they're given about the product. And maybe they share that, maybe they don't. But when people see them, like you said, you get high-level executives that come by. They know that the booth babes are just there to be eye candy, and they completely disregard them. And to that degree, then they also disregard the booth. Conversely, though, you get the other, you get people going to the other booth, and then they don't necessarily know what role these you know women are supposed to be playing there, so they can engage in the conversation. And the women, at least new enough locally, they could talk about restaurants and other stuff to actually engage people for longer than the booth babes could hold their attention. Because the guy was even saying that sometimes you know the, somebody would start talking to the booth babe, and they'd be busy doing something, but like just hold the guy for like five minutes and then I'll come over. And the booth babe couldn't even do that. After a few minutes, the guy would just be like, okay, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about and leave. But at least the other women, you know, being socially, you know, aware and, and, you know, just conversational in general, they could, you know, just keep the people engaged for that extra time for somebody to come over and help them. And they said that, so, so you've got the high-level executives who kind of are there just for business. They, they completely disregard the booth babes and, and generally sort of disdain them. Then you've got there's the sort of low-level sort of you know tech guys who maybe they're just not comfortable around women or at least they find attractive women somewhat intimidating. And so there are some people that just completely bypass the booth babes because they make them nervous. Whereas, you know, the, you know, the, the older women didn't have that problem and they were, you know, plus to the older women, they would actually sort of, you know, go out and try to engage people in conversation. Whereas the booth babes would kind of just wait for people to come to them. So again, like you were losing foot traffic in that way. And then the third thing is the only people who would come over and talk to the booth babes were basically sort of the creepy, like young it guys who were full of themselves and usually not. Usually, it was the, the comment that he made in the article that these people for whom getting to actually go to the show was the accomplishment in and of itself, yeah. not actually doing anything at the show. <laughs> so, for them, like they'd you know be full of swagger and not much else to come over and talk to the babes, and so they would get a lead out of that, but it wasn't a high quality lead, and so it was functionally a waste of time for everybody. So. In, in, in sort of you know sort of analyzing like who's at the show that that's there, he kind of proved like you're not getting the quality leads that you want, and the leads you are getting are are, are a waste. And and just on that alone, you're much better hiring somebody who can actually you know represent the product and and really engage and be conversational with people. I think that's the the biggest thing. If you've got any sort of personal skill set that you can talk to and interact with people, even if you don't know the product, but just to be able to you know get their attention, bring them in. You know, I've been going to a ton of bridal conventions lately and, you know, you see you see the, the people who are standing outside their booth, you know, actually trying to, you know, like wave at everybody who's going by and, and talk to them and just get their attention because, yeah, then we'll come over and we'll actually look at your, you know, your book of photography or whatever. And then you've got some people who it's like they just give you the business card. and It's like they're just as scared to talk to you as you are to them. And like, they, you know, it's like we're not going to call you for your tents. Like you did a terrible job of representing yourself at a, at a show and that's, that's, you know, you, you need to be aware of that because that's, this is where you, you know, you, you make your money. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's booth babes are horribly inefficient and it's, it's the problem he said though, is that there's a lot of like old school sales guys who still think like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like ingrained as part of the system. Like this is how you make money. And especially he was saying, you've got like the marketing people who are kind of on the floor and trying to get away from that, but then they have to go back to the sales people who aren't quite as involved and they you know like they're you know the upper you know upper echelon ceos and stuff and they're like well if you're not spending money on booth babes then you know you're wasting your money and that's kind of why we still have the culture i think i think is this kind of research gets out there plus the general you know sort of you know awareness of you know them being you know i guess you know 
being anti-woman. I think those two movements together, uh, the booth babes are eventually going to go away. But I think we still got some time before that happens. I don't think booth babes have to go away, though. That's the thing. I don't think like I said, the problem isn't the booth babe. The problem is the perception of the booth babe due to the way booth babes are currently, uh, uh, I guess, engaged or used by by the booths themselves. Uh, like for example, with PAX, um, there, like we, we get you know the, the media hour. Well, the first year and actually the second year when we did the media hour, there were a lot of booths that weren't really open to that weren't really open. This year was a little different. This year, every to every booth was on its game when it came to the media hour. But the, my first my first years uh, as a journalist in PAX, um, I definitely saw booths or or like the developers at the booths going over the material with the booth babes okay i um, thought pax doesn't have booth babes though they got booth babes anyway so <laughs> they're going over the uh the the material with the booth babes and some like from what i heard someone's more intensive than others now to that i also say if you if you're we're an hour before the show starts is that really the time to be educating the booth babes on the actual product that they're about to sell? I don't think so. I think the companies need to make a more proactive, be more proactive with their product education. Like if you're going to hire these booth babes, you tell them you need to be like, okay, pack starts on Friday. You need to be uh, in Boston on Wednesday. And from Wednesday, like Wednesday and Thursday, we are going to take Eight hours a day, both days, and you are going to learn the ins and out of this product. You're shaking your head, Nick. Go ahead. Because that's not a booth, babe. A booth, babe, is basically you're, – you're literally paying for tits. Why are you putting them in a box, Nick? Why uh-huh, are you I'm putting put, them I'm, in a I'm box? Not putting, I'm not putting them in a box. I'm putting them in, in, a, in two cups. But, <laughs> oh! <laughs> Nick's not no. a cabbage. <laughs> no, but, but, but that's the whole thing is, I mean, you're not you're, – you're paying these young girls – for you know, just stand around and look pretty, and that you know, I mean, you're giving them the basics of the, the the product discourse because you have to because that's the nature of the convention. But fundamentally, what you're saying is something more akin to what this guy did. We're having the, the women who are educated about the product. It happens that they were older and they weren't you know dressed in skinnily clad women or dressed in skinnily clad clothing. But to the but that's but to actually educate somebody and make them into a salesman, that's not a booth babe. And I think what maybe maybe what will happen is you'll see sort of an evolution. Like you can still be an attractive woman, but you don't need to be scantily clad and you can be educated on the product. And then you're no longer a booth babe. Then you're actually a marketing spokesperson. But that's what and, booth babes are. Booth babes is a, is a slang term. But it's a derogatory term and it's intended for those scantily clad. It's in, it, I are think, you saying they deserved you, it, Nick? When you put on the bra and panties that say RYL and you're getting paid for it, yeah, you deserved it in that case. Oh, okay. But that's the thing. Like the booth babes, I mean, we just said it's a slang term, it's a derogatory term, but we're still using it because that's what we do. It's, it's <laughs> so, so, so booth babes are they, they are marketing their people, but they're marketing tools. Okay. Yep. The thing, like, like I said, booth babes are. um. They are their 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 brand ambassadors, and they don't have to be there just to be the eye candy. I mean, of course, I mean the 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 devs or the people running the booths want to attract you to the booth, and that like when you have a a a, a field or a, a market like video games that is still targeted at males, 
Not it, not being targeted at females is a totally different conversation, which we're not going to have. But right now, it is targeted at males. When you have that, males are going to generate. Uh, well, a lot of males, not all males, because we just talked about some who will be scared away by the women. But you know, a lot of males are going to gravitate toward the pretty women. Or if you're walking by the booth and the chick says, "Hey, what's up? Come here," you're gonna go. <laughs> you know, you go, "Hey, what's going on?" Like you have a chance. Like <laughs> well, you're, you're, either, you're either gonna go or you're just gonna put your head down and run away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know that. I mean, that's part of the deal. I mean, that's just kind of smart marketing. No matter how sleazy it is, that's smart marketing. What I'm trying to say is that the booth babes don't need to be brainless. They could, and not saying these girls don't have brains, but in terms of the product, the marketers or the marketing department is only using them for their looks. You can put their brain to use, and how much more impressive would that be if this chick is hot, and then you ask her, like, a question about the game? Like, it doesn't have to be anything too difficult. Like, well, how many frames per second can I get if I use a, you know, a Radeon R9? Like, it doesn't have to be anything like that. But just, like, you know, more detailed things than, oh, this game is a shooter. You shoot like this, blah, blah, blah. You know, let me get it. Something that can at least hold somebody over, like me. Because I'm not going to ask a booth babe too difficult of a question because I know she's not a developer. Like, developer-style questions, I'm going to wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the developer about, you know, detailed stuff like that. But, you know, something about the game that she can at least keep me uh, engaged while I wait for the dev. I think they can do that. That is totally possible. See, I'd, I'd need to know what the going rate for a booth babe is because I feel like most – the people who approve these budgets aren't going to approve that extra day of training that you're asking for or however much time it actually needs beyond that hour before the convention um, to, to, to justify that. I think that's sort of where this that falls apart is that they're it, – it's, it's almost like for the amount of money that it might cost for that, maybe you send somebody else out to the convention you know, who's already familiar with your product instead and then you can you know, sort of recoup it that way. I don't think – well, I, 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 well, I see what you're saying. I don't think, I don't think it's it's feasible enough for that to happen. I, I, I what I think would happen is that, like I said, I, I think what I think what I think will happen is that you'll you'll see the booth babes and they'll they'll just be like you said, better trained marketing wise, but they won't be scantily clad. I think that that aspect will, will fall away. They'll just be generic marketing professionals. But they're still booth babes. Like it's they're still the same people. Yeah, but they're not. But they're not dressed in the. You know, they're not dressed like what is the the, the article had pictures of women dressed like cops and you know, or, or I should say hot cops, not just cops. Um, big and, difference, and, you folks. know. Big difference, you know, and assorted, you know, and, and the assorted outfits that I think you know. If you see, I mean, if you see a woman dressed like in a business suit, you don't think she's a babe. Okay, well, no, I do. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I've seen women in a like but, but you know, you don't think. Here's the thing: you see a woman in a business suit, and you assume that she, you assume that she's professional because of what you know, because of her attire. And you see a woman dressed in, you know, in brawn panties that says RYL, and you're going to dismiss her. Okay, so what about the the girls at the Nintendo booths? What do you think about that? I don't because I don't those remember. girls they're not scantily clad. Uh they're still they're not dressed professionally. They're dressed casually. They're attractive, but you can still talk to them about the product. You know, I don't, I don't, and honestly, I don't remember that. I think I put my head down and ran away from the Nintendo. <laughs> the Nintendo has been very good about that. You know, even though some people were hating on them when they attached the 3DSs to the girls and had the girls walking around, I'm just kind of like, eh, I'll play it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but still, like, yeah, I mean, like, what's wrong with that? I'm not saying these women, I'm not saying they need, they need to be in Duke Nukem-style schoolgirl dresses. I'm just saying, like, you know, they don't have to dress in business suits. Or what if, what if you, because booth babes are, are typically regional. Like, you're not going to have a booth babe from California, unless she's just that popular, coming to New York for a show. You'll get, you'll get girls in that area. Or promoters, brand promoters, if they want to call them. But what if the company got a set of, you know, of girls that that they liked, and they trained those girls, and then they moved them from show to show? That would work. Yes, it would work. We just, we're fucking geniuses, Nick. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this but is I, what... I th- but I think the question is, it all comes down to what the going rate is. Because, it, you know, as far as bringing these women in, I don't, you know, again, I don't know what their hourly rate is. And it, it might be easier just hire some local floozies, pay them some money, and let them just stand there looking pretty, as opposed to actually bringing in professionals. If anybody I mean, was going to say something sexist, I thought it was going to be me, Nick. I really thought it was going to be me. I'm not <laughs> calling anyone specific a floozy. Nick, I'm just saying that Nick busted out the F word. He called yeah. him a floozy. Oh my god, this is incredible. Incredible podcasting going on on the MASHcast right now. I'm going to message Joel in a minute and say, you missed Nick calling a girl a floozy. (laughs) Oh, Nick. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't know. It's, I mean, well, here's the thing though. I mean, these women could be very intelligent and very smart, but it's, I mean, I guess is again, I don't know what the money is in being a booth babe. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's a prudent choice, but. Well, I mean, they, uh, a lot of these girls make a living off of this. Like some women, like some some women specifically, this is what they do: brand endorsement. This is what they do, and that they make a, a pretty good living off of it. So, if, that, um, if that's the case, maybe it makes sense then to actually bring these women in house then, and actually you know train them and kind of have them you know represent the company in more than just one event at a time. Yeah, exactly. That, I think that will be a huge. Uh, like a, it'll be a bigger and larger investment, but still, I think it'll probably be worth the budget, uh, worth the money. But I guess it depends how tight your marketing budget actually is. I think it also, yeah, it also depends how many of these events you're doing per year. I mean, do you really, you know, if you're only doing a, like, what, five or six conventions a year, do you really need to have somebody on the, the annual payroll? Well, no, it doesn't have to be annual payroll. Be like, hey, I'm doing, there's six conventions a year. We're going to give you X amount of money, plus we're going to fly you in for, you know, X conventions. Like, tell them in advance, this is the schedule we need you on. Put them on See, a contract. That, that, that might be what kills you is the transportation costs. Because you can just hire somebody who's local and just pay them. And then yeah, but work, like, yeah. what you're paying for is somebody with the knowledge that can actually relay that across the, uh, you know, across to you know potential clients or potential customers. That's what you really want. You don't want people coming up to to the booth, babe, and then be like, oh, well, she doesn't really know anything about the game and turning away. You want somebody that can keep them there until somebody who can explain more deeply about the game or about the product. Uh, you want the closer to be able to get to them. That's what you want. You want the closer exactly, to be exactly. able to get to them. And who knows, if these girls know enough about the game, they might become closers. They can be closers, Nick. They can be anything they want. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they're not all floozy, sir. <laughs> I, didn't say, I didn't say they all were. I didn't uh, say they all were, but yeah, but well, no, I mean, if, 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 they, if you can work that out, more power to them. So I don't know. Let's let's go start rounding up girls and get this thing going. Yeah, no, Mashcast solving practical problems with practical <laughs> solutions. <laughs> uh, but let's move on to our last topic uh, here. 
Shadows of Mordor uh, was announced. It's a it's a Lord of the Rings game, third person uh, platformer esque. Uh, you know, anytime you see any of these games, I think Assassin's Creed is going to be brought up uh, because of the style of the game. Now, I'll be honest with you. I just watched the video today. There was like an eight minute um, video that was the, of gameplay that was put up. Uh, on, well, I, I watched it on Eurogamer. The video was actually put up on YouTube, but um, I, I just watched today. I think for the last two days. Like, well, actually, let me see when this. What was this article actually published? I'm sorry. It was, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. This article was published last Friday. Actually, so it's been more than a few days. It's been more than a few days that this has been up. Uh, last Friday it was. So I've heard people complaining. I guess. Or there's been a lot of hoopla about people saying, oh, it's Assassin's Creed, it's Assassin's Creed. And I'm kind of just like, okay, it's it's the same way people always compare games like this to Assassin's Creed, right? Then I watched the video. Holy shit! Like, that the game, dude, the game, the movement, like, it, that is straight up Assassin's Creed. Like, not that they were not, they were not, it's not, it doesn't look like they were mimicking Assassin's Creed. It looks like they took the code from Assassin's Creed and put it into their game. I swear to God. You, if you haven't watched this video, you got to watch it. The way he crouches down and walks. The way he climbs the side of buildings. The way he hangs off the side of buildings. The way he jumps. The way he grabs for a long jump. That is Ezio Aditori. That is Ezio. That, that movement is straight up Ezio. There is no doubt in my mind. Well, you know, you're, you're even, not the even, only person to say that. Yes, actually, the develop one of the developers from uh, the combat designer for Assassin's Creed 2, Charles Randall, says uh, he said, "Seriously, can someone tell me how Assassin's Creed 2 and assets are in Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor game? This is my code in that game." He exclaimed later. That's what the Eurogamer said. He says, "I spent two years. He has spent two years staring at AC2. I know it when I see it." Dude, so do I. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I, I really could not believe that, like I said, it wasn't just similar. It is exactly like Assassin's Creed in that aspect. Like, the movement, the jumping down from um, on top of people and, and killing them, that is exactly like Assassin's Creed. Now, the game, like, once I got past that, once I raged about that, because I hit pause on YouTube, I didn't finish watching the video because I was really kind of pissed about it. <laughs> then I watched the rest of the video. And now I'm actually interested in the game because there are definitely some aspects there that Ubisoft might want to take note of uh, that I think could push the genre forward. Um, first of all, this uh, did you watch the video, Nick? I saw one of the videos. I don't know if I saw the video you're talking about. The one that talked about the uh, the, the memory system? No, I didn't see that. Okay, so basically, uh, this actually is called the Nemesis System. So this game has something called the Nemesis, Nemesis System, which basically gives your enemies a memory. Okay? Every boss has a memory. Or every, um, I don't want to call them major characters, but every major enemy has a memory of you. Uh, apparently, not like first of all, your enemies or the people you have to kill are generated randomly. Every time you play the game, it's not the same people. So you have different people with different stories, which means technically speaking, the game could take you down different paths. Okay. 
Um, so you have that. And not only not only uh do they have memories, like you'll encounter some of these people, right? And there may be a chance that you don't kill them. Like I don't know if that's if it's like gonna be planned where you don't kill them, or if you kinda fail in your objective or don't do it fast enough, is it going to be something like, Well, they lived and they remember you. Like the one guy, uh the guy the first guy they talk about, he barely escaped the last time you fought and he remembered that. So what he did was when he saw you, he sent a bunch of people after you first and then tried to kill you. Um, the second guy they showed, the second enemy, you burned, like, he, his, half of his face was burned because you left him to burn alive. But he got away. And he remembers that. And his face is all scarred up because of that. So this nemesis system is something that could actually really add to the game. Uh, the second thing is... Uh, and I guess this is kind of hard for Assassin's Creed. I mean, they could probably find some way to account for this. Uh, but you have these things called Wraith Powers, which adds a whole new dynamic to the game. Um, first of all, like, some of the moves I saw the main character doing, like, he was, like, he was switching to Wraith Power, which people were, when I read about it originally, people were just saying, oh, it's just Eagle Vision. Fuck that. No, it's not. It's not just Eagle Vision. Like, he's actually, he actually has powers he can use with it. Like, he, um... To slow down time to shoot arrows. One of the other abilities I saw, he was able to teleport to enemies. Like this guy was running away, and he teleported uh, quickly to the next enemy and killed him. Uh, also, that's another thing. The, the combat system. I mean, I guess while it's, I don't even know if I want to call it similar. Uh, I mean, how else are you going to fight people in a in a, in a third person um, melee game? Like, it's not, you either have, like, the Devil May Cry style of fighting, or you have, like, this. Where, you know, people kind of surround you, you can block and parry them, and, you know, and, and hit them. Uh, it's not as bad as Assassin's Creed has gotten now, where every, basically in Assassin's Creed now, any action you take has to be a block or a parry or a counter. Whereas in this game, like, he can actually initiate combat and kill people with swords and stuff like that. Uh, one of the articles I read, somebody was complaining about, oh, the enemies even have tails when they're about to hit you. Of course they have tails when they're about to hit you. <laughs> you know how annoying that would be if they didn't have a tail so you can counter or block it? So I'm not going to take, um, I'm not going to get them on that fact. Uh, but these Wraith powers where he, uh, he grabs the guy, like the first guy, called like Ragfoot or something like that. It's a, it's an orc. Um, he grabs him and he has four options. He can uh, he can he can control his mind to a degree. He can either assassinate. He can send him on an assassination mission to assassinate somebody else. So actually, I'm gonna get to that last because that's the option he actually took. He can send him as a spy, um, where he'll go collect data or information and bring it back to you. He can uh, terminate him or you know, kill him. He can, what was the other option? It was, it was spy, kill. He can um, fear him or spread fear through him. Basically uh, put like something in his head and let him go around and, you know, I guess spread your legend around and make other people afraid of you, which will affect the game. All of these options affect the game different ways. And I'm thinking termination is probably the easiest to go, so it's going to help you the least. Uh, but the last one was assassinate, where you can actually send him on an assassination mission. And when they opened up that menu, when he chose that option, it just didn't say, okay, you, you, this is an assassination mission now, where you have to go assassinate this person. It brings up a menu 
and it shows all of your nemesis on one screen, and it shows his relationship to each nemesis, okay? And then he can pick another nemesis for this person to go and assassinate. And there's like a, a there's a per, kind of a percentage chance of how uh, how he how well he's going to do. Can he do it successfully, or or can he not? So you, in this demo, he sent him to assassinate one of the main bosses, one of the guys you were trying to kill. And of course, he had a zero to low success rate. And I guess it's going to change based on like who you pick. But at least in in this case, he actually ended up. You, uh, the guy who you, you know, turned into your ally, kind of, I guess, the assassination mission, he was able to stab the person you were trying to kill, uh, but the other guy's a big boss, so he just turned around and killed him. But still, now you have an advantage against that boss because he's already hurt. You know, so that to me is really, really interesting. Like, basically, it changes the games in all these different ways. Like, that, if this... If this game actually turns out the way I think it will, like you'll have tons of different options for replay value. Even like actually right before the assassination started, um, he went into his uh, wraith vision or what they're calling the eagle vision knockoff, and now you, not only can you see the enemies that you have, but you can also see all of your allies because the guy that you forced to do the assassination, he has minions, and so his minions are now controlled by you too. You yeah. know. So it actually, I'm very interested at this uh, with this by now. Like, I'll, put, I, I'll be, I'll be straight up honest. That movement, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they have some type of licensing licensing agreement with Ubisoft on that on that Assassin's Creed engine. I wouldn't be surprised at all because it is exactly the fucking same, dude. It's exactly the same. You know, I would not be surprised if they had some type of licensing agreement for that engine. Because uh, Ubisoft isn't making a stink about this. Like, I haven't heard any news about Ubisoft going to action or going, you know, taking them to task on this. But I'm interested in that. I want to know more about this game. I want to play this game. I, I do. What are your thoughts, Nick? No, it sounds pretty interesting. Um, there were some quotes from Michael DePlatter, who is the design director for Shadows of Mortar. Uh, and, and regarding the Assassin's Creed games, he says, we didn't think much about them at all. We just want to do a third-person open-world action-adventure, and then by now, just by the time you have stealth and melee combat and you're hunting guys behind enemy lines, comparisons maybe come out at that point. It definitely wasn't something we were consciously going for. So it might be the kind of thing where they were just trying to build that from the ground up. But I mean, as far as you're saying, though, the code, like, and I know and I know that, uh, was it Randall, Charles Randall, he even kind of backed off his original statements a little bit. Um, but it, 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 again, not having seen that exact trailer and not being terribly familiar with Assassin's Creed 2, it sounds like it, it is very similar, but even then, that whole concept that you're talking about, about taking control of somebody with, like, using the Wraith power for mind control, and then not just having access to them, but also access to their other minions, uh, it does sound like there's an amazing amount of depth to this game, so it does sound like something that'll be interesting uh, when it does come out. Yeah, dude, this... I think Ubisoft can, can, can take some notes, because the the only, I mean, Assassin's Creed became a, a really about the narrative. Like, the only game where you had, like, I guess where the, the core of the game was the assassination contracts was the original Assassin's Creed, because Assassin's Creed 2 was about Ezio getting revenge for his father and brotherhood. Oh, I'm not going to go through the whole series. But it's basically, it became about the narrative about the main character usually getting 
some type of revenge or rebuilding the Assassin's Brotherhood or some some narrative like that. But Assassin's Creed with uh, with Altair, like every you you would get like you would you would talk to Al Mulanim, he'd tell you who you need to kill, you go to the city, you get the evidence to make sure like to so that you can get approval for the contract to prove this person uh, is guilty, kind of like in a Dexter kind of way, where you would, you know, he need he needed to make sure have definitive proof that this person is guilty, and then you go for the assassination contracts, and that's kind of what this is like. And maybe Assassin's Creed would do good to kind of go back to that because they're fucking up the narrative big time, <laughs> like they really well, they're, are. They're almost at the point where they need to just drop the narrative and kind of like start a new story of, of assassins from scratch but i mean that's what one of the things though, that would be neat and it, it's, it's a shame is to, it would be neat if it was like oh no he actually is an assassin like somehow like the assassin's brotherhood spans universes and it follows humanity or maybe this will turn out at the end that it'll just be like you know it was an abstergo employee who built a lord of the rings machine to <laughs> use all the assassin knowledge they've acquired from uh, from the other devices um so I mean that that would be neat, but obviously it's not an actual Ubisoft game, so that's not uh, not in the cards. Yeah, like I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, the Assassin's Creed uh, Black Flag was definitely a good game. I like it. I liked it a lot, um, mainly because they, well, the Assassin stuff was good. It was definitely better than Assassin's Creed Three, but then that naval combat aspect was the original reason I got the game. Uh, but if they could go back to like you know, some type of like where you where you actually feel like an assassin, you know, because I felt more like an assassin in an AC one than any of the other Assassin's Creeds. Because the thing about Assassin's even Assassin's Creed two, like two through you know this Assassin's Creed, everybody knows who you fucking are. Like, what's the point of being an assassin if everybody knows who you are? Like, you know. Nobody's supposed to know who their assassin's gonna be. That, but that's like Rockstar Creed. Whenever whenever you go somewhere in Assassin's Creed two through now, they look at your face like, oh shit, assassin. I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he knows. Whoops. <laughs> you know? Whereas in Assassin's Creed, the first Assassin's Creed, you could get you could kill every single target without alerting the guards. Every single target on Assassin's Creed 1, you can do that, too. I'm sorry, except the very last guy you gotta fight. The last two guys, technically speaking, sorry. That you have to fight. But if you went back to actually feeling like a badass assassin, like, you know, they don't know you're coming, you're fucking striking striking from the corners, (laughs) you know, popping out of the rafters, like, that would be really cool, I think. Uh, But they, maybe they just need to take a break from writing narrative, because they're killing that shit. Woo, they're killing it. So, um, I don't know. I, I like where this is going. I am very interested in Shadow of Mordor, and I will love to learn more about this game. I, I I wonder when it's coming out. I'm not even sure. I don't think they have a release date for it yet. So, I don't know. I I, I like what I see. Even though, whew, that, that movement, bro. You gotta watch the video. You have to watch that video. I was like, God damn. It's the same, it's the same exact thing. So, well, if, um, if, well, I mean, I, I mean that's been a running thing. Like, as I said, what, uh, Charles Randall, even Penny Arcade had a, a comic about that. And so, yeah, clearly, if they didn't intentionally mean to mimic that, they did a very good job regardless. Yeah, so, <laughs> they did. Hats off to them. Hoods off to them. Yeah, I, I do like that Penny Arcade comic. That was pretty funny. 
So actually, I think I'll post that in the show notes uh, for all those who did not see it. Uh, but that's going to wrap up the news portion. Let's see what's coming out. Anything good coming out? Hmm. Officially, Insurgency just came out. Officially. Haven't played it yet, but a friend of mine told me that they really they totally redid the graphics and it looks amazing. So I'm curious to try that out. Broken Age came out. Uh, is that today? No, actually, two days ago, Broken Age came out. Uh, anything else worth talking about coming out soon? Not really. Bravely Default Bravely on the default. 7th? On the 7th, yeah. Outlast for PS4 on the 4th. Well, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy 13. I couldn't even get to the fir- get through the first one, so I'm out. But uh, that's coming out. Yeah. I. Uh, that looks like that's it for now. In, in the in the in the uh, near future, so yeah, we're still kind of in the drought. I wonder when the games will start flowing again. Of course, there's always stuff coming out on Steam and indie stuff, so I'm pretty sure we'll we won't be left in the cold for too long. Gotcha. Okay, well then that's gonna wrap up our podcast uh, for the night. Um, let us know what you thought about skipping the the what you've been playing. Even though we do get some good conversations on what you've been playing, that's why I kind of I like it personally, but. You know, let us know what you're thinking, if you like it or not, or if you want to keep doing this or not. Feel free to comment. There's tons of ways to get in contact with us. Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, email, phone call, note, U.S. Postal Service, all types of stuff. All right, so uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can catch us on SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com slash buttons. We are on iTunes. Which uh, I do know that iTunes is having a bit of trouble right now. Uh, I will say that it will be fixed very soon. So just bear with us. Uh, we're, we are on um, Stitcher Smart Radio for Android and iOS devices. We are on uh, Twitter.com slash MTB site. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook.com slash buttons and YouTube.com slash buttons. So all those things. We're also on Twitch.tv slash buttons. Oh. Yeah, we've been doing some streaming lately. Yeah, we've been doing some streaming. Um, for those who caught the Rock Band stream, thanks for jamming out with us. Actually, Boris, he ha- he told me he got some new strings that glow in the dark. So that's going to be either really good or really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll post it the next time he streams, and we'll see how it goes from there. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we will we will catch you next week, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have some some exciting things happening within the next uh, few weeks uh, for you guys. So we'll catch you then. Have a great weekend. Go Broncos. Okay, yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Later, guys. <laughs> <laughs>